This is 128 Bits, a podcast about the most influential period of video games, what is known as the sixth generation, the Dreamcast, PS2, GameCube, Xbox era. On every episode, we will discuss one standout title from the generation and talk about its greatness, including its critical reception at the time, our favorite and least favorite things, its legacy, and we even get into what we think it would look like today. Today, I'm joined by Joseph and Carlos, and we're going to talk about the best American-made Nintendo game ever, in my opinion, at least, and that's Metroid <laughs> Prime. Uh, so, uh, first of all, how are you guys? Good. Doing well. Doing yeah, good. Glad guys, to be on. Thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome. Um, Appreciate the making invite. his irrelevant podcast network debut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, What's I, the competition for Nintendo American Nintendo? Well, games? in this era, there was also Silicon uh, Silicon Knights did uh, Eternal Darkness. Okay. Which is a really good one. Which also. is really good, and was actually taken out of the running for this. <laughs> yeah, for the first season. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Metal Gear Solid: Twin Snakes was also technically an American game. And okay. what other one? Uh, Mario Sunshine. No, just kidding. Not that. One. <laughs> it's, it's between Metroid Prime and Eternal Darkness. So yeah, for both sure. Both of them are really good. So let's get into the background of the game, and it's it's super. I think this is honestly one of my favorite games ever and one that had the most impact in my life. So I really enjoyed looking up all this info. Uh, so Metroid Prime is a first-person adventure game, and it's not a first-person shooter. It's a first-person adventure. Nintendo was very clear about uh, <laughs> like delineating that. And it was developed by Austin-based uh, Retro Studios and published by Nintendo. It was released on November 17th, 2002, and November 2002 was actually a great time to be a Metroid fan because arguably the best two games in the series were released the same day. Metroid Fusion was released on the Game Boy Advance, which is the best 2D side-scrolling Metroid, and this game, which would be the first 3D game in the Metroid franchise. So at that time, I didn't have a Game Boy Advance, but yeah, I, I re that, that really made me want one more so than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I actually played that one. It's, I yeah, think for the same reason I didn't have a Game Boy Advance and I was a broke college kid on my own. All I had was the all I had was the GameCube. <laughs> no, yeah, we weird. had that one. See if you hadn't left, you would have been able to play it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so the story of Metroid Prime really starts with the story of Retro Studios. And they were founded by former Iguana Studios head and Turok creator Jeff Spangenberg on September 1998. I think I'm saying that right. <clears throat> yeah, that's right. I don't think it's Spangenberg, but I don't know. <laughs> no, there's a baseball player with that name. I actually looked up if it was his dad or not, but I couldn't get a, a definitive answer. <laughs> uh, and Retro Studios was a partnership between Spangenberg and Nintendo with the mission for Retro Studios being that they would create games on the upcoming GameCube that would appeal to an older demographic, kind of like Turok did. So right away, they started churning out concepts, and by 1999, and surprisingly without access to GameCube development kits, the Austin-based studio had four big GameCube game ideas in the works. The first one was a Twisted Metal clone with the working title Car Combat, a football game with the working title NFL Retro Football, an RPG with the working title Ravenblade, and an untitled adventure game with the working title Action Adventure. <laughs> um, I don't know if you guys looked any of these up, but I saw... I saw footage of like NFL retro football and it was just like their game engine showing a player walking and it looked really fluid and cool. And just based on that, like I wish they would have created that one. But um, what we got instead was also pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so in the year 2000, Miyamoto, Iwata and other Nintendo people visited Austin to see how retro was doing. And out of all the demos that Miyamoto and company saw, the only one that really impressed them was Action Adventure. In fact, Miyamoto was so impressed by the engine that he thought it could be a good engine for a new Metroid game. Miyamoto also picked uh, Nintendo vet Kensuke Tanabe to lead the project on the Nintendo side as producer and main coordinator between Japan and Retro. Retro Studios eventually canceled all other projects and focused solely on Metroid Prime, and both teams were in constant communication um, while the game shifted from initially being a third-person adventure game to a first-person, as Miyamoto thought that shooting in third-person wasn't very intuitive and exploration would be easier in first-person. And that was the main focus of the game, exploration above all. So the game was revealed to the world at Nintendo's conference Space World in the year 2000 
where a 10 second video was shown to the world of a 3D Samus in her various suit running through a hall being chased by tiny bugs. Do you guys remember seeing this video or not? Yeah. I, I don't think I remember seeing the video. Yeah, it was yeah. mind blowing. I remember going on like, um, like the school computer to IGN and like having to download QuickTime on the school computer to be able to watch the video. Um, but yeah, it was like, I've, I've always liked Metroid and this like, like blew my mind. I was like, yes, finally, because there was no Metroid on the N64. So it kind of skipped it. Um, yeah, this one was originally started on the N64 and then ended up having to be moved over, I think. Yeah. But I, I remember the same thing, having to go through all these hoops to see the video and seeing <laughs> like clips and or like just the screenshots and GamePro 2 after the footage came out. Yeah, I remember I, Yeah, it blew my mind sure. as well. Uh, Nintendo, however, didn't reveal that it was Austin-based Retro Studios working on it until November of the year 2000. And man, working on this game sounds like hell on earth. <laughs> Retro staffers frequently had 80 through to 100 hour work weeks and their CEO and founder kept firing people to fit into the budget demands Nintendo made. Not also not only that, but it's hard to meet Nintendo standards, especially with like a flagship franchise like Metroid. Um, Retro Studio senior artist James Dargie claims it took almost six months for the first level to meet Nintendo's approval, and that left them a little under a year to do the rest of the game. So imagine just working Jesus. six months that's on crazy. one part of it. And that's Nintendo crazy. being like, that's not good. That's not good. That's not good. And then um, knowing you have the rest of the game to get through yeah, right it's, afterwards. It's insane. Uh, despite the constant firing and hellish work conditions, Retro and Nintendo created a masterpiece of a game. It really wasn't a traditional first-person shooter with emphasis on shooting, but instead it was a bit slower paced and featured exploration of very different environments. Like all Metroid games, Samus upgraded her suits and abilities throughout the game, with each upgrade granting the player access to areas of previous levels they had no access to before. So the game features a healthy amount of backtracking. The game is played in a first-person perspective, except when you're in morph ball mode, which is when Samus rolls up into a hamster ball and rolls around, uh, even, crawling, <laughs> even crawling on walls with a later power-up. But in first person, the player can swap between a number of visors that allow Samus to scan the environment uh, where there's like a lot of lore revealed or weak spots on enemies. She also had a heat visor and an x-ray visor, which for the first time ever allowed the player to see what Samus sees and was a very cool mechanic in the game. Yeah. In addition to this, the HUD showed a mini-map, a radar, health bar. A cool feature, too, was that when light would reflect off the visor, you'd be able to catch a glimpse of Samus's face. Um, I remember doing that a lot when I first discovered it. I was like, oh, did I, <laughs> did I catch her face? And I just did that over and over again. Um, unlike other first-person shooters of the era, however, the game featured a lot of platforming and also featured no dual-axis view control, meaning the C-Stick, which was essentially the second stick on the GameCube controller, would switch beams and not move the camera around. In order to do that, you had to hold down the L button, and then you could move the camera around. This is like a big differentiator from other first-person shooting games of the era. Um, the game also had a pretty significant emphasis on sound, boasting that it featured Dolby Pro Logic 2 support and the soundtrack was filled with homages to earlier Metroid games. The graphics engine itself also featured consistent 60 frames per second and progressive scan, which was pretty high-end stuff for the era, so you could get 480p instead of 480i. <laughs> um, <laughs> overall, Metroid Prime was a landmark title, not only because it was the first Metroid in 3D, but because it was a serious adult game that showcased <laughs> the GameCube technologically and highlighted that there could be a Western grown-up games on it other than just like Mario. It was fun, it was deep, it was amazing to look at, and was one of the best titles of the GameCube, period. Yeah, so this game was so... It was just, like, so different from all the other GameCube games that it, it really marked, like, whoa, GameCube is serious <laughs> to a lot of people out there. Yeah. I think um, one of the things that you had gone over about, like, with the visor where you could scan some of the lore, things like that, that the, all the information on the visor was one of the things that I really liked about it. You could see the map, you could, it just made it more informative while you played. And yeah. that was the first type of game I had played like that. Like I said, I'm just a 
average or maybe even less than <laughs> average like a video game player i i find games that i like and i stick to them and metroid is one of them i've played those you know since i mean the very first one and so that's what i really like liked about it you could see the map you could see where you were going yeah you could learn about it and i know that there's games like this there's kind of two styles of play sometimes people will go through them and then go back. No, I was the type of guy who was like, okay, did I do everything in this room that I possibly can at this point now? Cool. All right. And yeah. I, it, it, I, that's how I went through the game. And, and I just love that. I loved the puzzles and, and, and trying to figure out, you know, is that, can I roll in a little ball and scroll in that little area? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. oh yeah, I can. Like it, they, I don't know if that was purposely done or it made me feel like I had like good instincts in the game. Yeah. <laughs> like, but you know, to play it and like, be like, cool, I found this like little secret. Like, I don't know if other people found it right away or not, but <laughs> I, I really liked that. And the different visors, the different style of visors, like the, the heat one. And, um, I do remember when, <laughs> you said you could see the reflection of her yeah. i was like oh shit there she is like it was really cool too i can <laughs> yeah, remember that too <laughs> it was a very special moment because it was just like oh wow i can i am her she's me or what's happening <laughs> uh, no but they that is definitely um something that was cool with the scan visor that if you wanted to you could just scan the basic things but if you really like it allowed players who want to go deeper than surface level to scan everything and get the full lore and discover a lot more in the game without necessarily slowing down those that don't want to do that right so that was a right. really cool design decision i think yeah yeah and there was different uh endings depending on how much stuff you you would scan throughout yeah. the game too so it was in, there was incentive too to yep go through all of it or, or go back and play it if you just wanted to get the story the first time and then go back and like 100 percent it again yeah uh, in terms of critical reception, there's very few games that were as well reviewed as Metroid Prime on the GameCube. Out of 70 critic reviews on Metacritic, it has a 97 out of 100 average score. <laughs> Notoriously tough EGM oh, uh, gave it a perfect score saying, quote, the visuals are untouchable, the gameplay is tight, and the mood is hauntingly captivating. It is simply mind-blowing on so many different levels, end quote. So yeah, that's EGM, which did not give out perfect scores to every game right so that yeah. um the pervy poets over at play magazine also gave it a perfect <laughs> score and said quote judge this magnificent game on its own merits allow it to burrow into your sense of wonder like the best games do and you might just proclaim that you've placed that you've played one of the best games of the year end quote <laughs> So allow this game to burrow into your soul and you will, you will proclaim things. Uh, play Magazine was Dude, awesome. and you know what? That is probably a really good quote for it because I remember playing it and halfway through, I was living with someone and halfway through this, we, we broke up or whatever and she moved out. But I remember playing with headphones in because she took the TV and I had this little like 14 inch, like tiny little TV. But to get a full depth of it, like I used to play with headphones. On, this TV had a headphone jack on it. Mm. Like it had a VCR in it. Like it was <laughs> yeah. a built, a one built stand unit, right? Yeah. So it's like I almost had like a Samsung, Samsung visor like on me. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember plugging in headphones sometimes to play it just because the sound was so good and it was crappy on that little TV. Yeah. You know, the like choral type like um, vocals and stuff like that. I would play it in my headphones with sometimes and it just like completely would envelop me, I mean, like the audio from it. It was yeah. so good. And like, it literally, it sounds corny or cheesy to say, but it was literally being like transported into yeah. that world and like just disconnecting from everything. It was yeah. great. It was really, really, really great. Yeah, it, I agree with you too. I also had like a little TV um, with a VCR and a headphone jack. And this is one yeah. of the few games where I remember, I really liked the magma level sound. Um, I just I yeah. have that drilled in my mind. Just that I think that's the first level I heard with headphones. That's why it's so yeah. notorious. In that. <laughs> um, yeah, GamePro, my my favorite game magazine, my darling GamePro was one of the harshest critics, <laughs> giving it only a ninety or a four point five out of five in GamePro terms. And in his review, GamePro editor D-Pad Destroyer highlighted that the graphics lack a little polish and the controls never become second nature. But he ended up calling the game, and I quote. The industry's holy grail, a next-gen game that significantly upgrades the genre while keeping all the classic feel of the original, end quote. 
Holy Grail only got ninety. Yeah, yeah it only 90? got it only got a four point five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I couldn't find any review any reviews from our buddies at Maxim Online or stuff. Um, they did not review GameCube games, it seems, or not at Playboy. this point. Yeah, not Playboy, Playboy Online either. Playboy games. Or uh, what was the other website? Fourfatchicks.com. I couldn't find that one either. Um, the game also won a bunch of game game of the years, including um, like the overall game of the year from GameSpot, from GameSpy, EGM, and European game magazine Edge, which I would buy at Barnes and Noble to try and uh, get that uh, cross Atlantic perspective on video games. Um, <laughs> it also got the Game Developers Choice Award for Game of the Year, as well as Excellence in Game Design Award. So it it got a lot of recognition from that end. Um, for the publications that it didn't win Game of the Year outright, it won GameCube Game of the Year. But the weirdest one I could find was IGN, which named it its runner-up Game of the Year to, get this, <laughs> Battlefield 1942 on the PC, which I don't, I mean, it was fine, but <laughs> I don't think many people are rem- have, like, it wasn't as influential as Metroid Prime or anything like that. So. No, I remember a lot of people I don't playing even know Battlefield what that game 1942 is, like. then, though. <laughs> Yeah, it was super popular. It was. I think it, that must have been it. It's just its popularity. Yeah, it was by far like, it was the Call of Duty of the era, but it was only on PC. And I don't know, maybe I'm just still console biased at this time. But yeah, to me, it's just like, how are you going to pick Battlefield over Metroid Prime? But they did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sales wise, Metroid Prime sold better than any other GameCube game of the time. It sold 250,000 units in the first week alone and was the second best-selling game of its launch month behind the juggernaut of Grand Theft Auto Vice City. <laughs> um, it sold 1.49 million copies and earned more than $50 million in the United States alone. It was added to the Player's Choice lineup later on, and it made even more money there. It was also the game, and this is just personal, that finally made me get a GameCube. Um, up until this point, I hadn't made the jump to PS2 or GameCube or Xbox. I was still holding strong on the Dreamcast. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Metroid Prime was finally the one that was just like... And in fact, we like we couldn't afford it, but I like begged for it so much that my dad took out credit, <laughs> like a credit card in Best Buy, uh, <laughs> to buy me ga- the GameCube along with uh, a Wavebird and Rogue Squadron 2. And what was, <laughs> what was pretty funny about that is that my dad was like, all right, well, it's like, I think it was like two years, no interest or something like that. So he's like, oh, get two games and and the controller, right? So it's like, all right, cool. And I seriously had in my hand two copies of Metroid Prime because I was like, <laughs> I want to just not open one of them. I just have it forever. And my dad was like, no, 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 get, an- get another game. Like, don't don't be ridiculous. You're only We're only going to do this once. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, dude. Um, That's funny. Because we've talked about, like, console movers and games before, and this is definitely one of them. Yeah, it was for me, and it was for a lot of people, too. It was just, like, that big, um, I think it was the first big, like, Western appeal game um, that had that, like, Halo-like appeal. I remember it was seen as, like, the nintendo's answer to halo right yeah i mean and i remember just like there was going to be an fps metroid game and Mm. we knew there was going to be a new zelda like okay i'm getting what and a gamecube like (laughs) yeah yeah now let's get into a little behind the scenes or trivia about this game and uh first one big factor as to why the game was shifted to first person as i mentioned earlier was that like miyamoto didn't like how third person shooting worked but he specifically called out how awkward Jet Force Gemini on the N64 was to control. <laughs> Miyamoto apparently did not like how that game felt at all. So he was just like, don't make this another Jet Force Gemini. Do you guys remember Man. playing that one? Yeah, I, that game I, that one. I can only imagine being the people working on that team and having like the best <laughs> video game designer of all time calling you out. <laughs> yeah, and it was by Rare, which are like... Was it third person? Yeah. Or was it first person? Yeah. No, it was third. Third. Ugh. Yeah, it was third, and you're shooting big insects. And uh, I remember it being okay, but clearly Miyamoto was like, don't do not do that again. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, secondly, the concept for visors was, was initially pitched to the devs by Miyamoto, who described it as the following. What if Samus could take off her head and maybe put on a head that had bug eyes? So like, that's what he told the developers in the meeting. <laughs> and they were just like... What is he what? talking about? What? <laughs> yeah, and he, and eventually the game developers figured out it's like, oh, he means like, what if she could change the way she looks at the world, and that's how they developed the visor system. But uh, uh, yeah, he was just like, what? What if she had bug eyes and could see all around her or see heat and stuff like that? So 
that's it's it's interesting to see that insight into how I don't know if that was like missed in translation or something like that because it's like a Japanese guy speaking to across the phone to like a, <laughs> an American audience, right? But yeah, that was yeah. Cool. Um, and you know, really, that's the main like that's what really I think everybody loved about it. You know, again, yeah. like back to just the HUD was really the big thing. Yeah, for sure, it was a big differentiator, and it allowed you to explore a lot more than just you know just walking around because. Now you see, oh, if I turn on my heat signature, I can see heat coming from this area and I can roll into a ball and go through it, right? And stuff like that. Yeah. Which is really and cool. was this game, for me, it was one of the first ones that had like a 3D type map where, mm. yeah, you could see it on the top, like I think it was the top right corner where it sits on yeah. your visor. But if you wanted to look at it only in the screen, like you could turn it and rotate it and kind of zoom in and out. Yeah. Um, I hadn't really played any other games that had that type of map. And like it was just another thing new style for this game where i was like oh shit this is awesome you know <laughs> yeah. and i think i played um oh gosh what's the star wars game joso that just came out uh not the fallen order. jedi forces or Fall, yeah fallen order i played that one and the map is the same style as soon as i clicked into the map and it was doing the same things that's the it's the first thing that always reminds me of it when any maps look like that i'm like oh it looks like metroid like i don't, <laughs> yes. I don't know if there were ones before but for me that's the first one that I had and i'm like oh they're copying metroid's maps like that's exactly <laughs> what i always think when i see like that type of almost interactive uh just three-dimensional type map yeah. so it was it was just cool too it was another cool little like feature that made it a big difference yeah i can't remember i want to i, I don't know if Metro, if metal gear solid had that but i i that i might just be making it up but yeah the, the map <laughs> in metro prime was cool because it had this thing where like if you zoomed all the way out it would be like little hexagons but then as you yeah. zoom in it got more detailed and it showed like rooms and like tunnels yeah. and it, it was really really cool i mean you could almost like iron man computer type <laughs> rotate it and flip it yeah. around and yeah. like <laughs> look at it all these different angles and shit and it was pretty cool yeah definitely uh another nice little tidbit was that the game was initially going to feature narration and voice clips from samus herself but that ultimately didn't materialize though the pal region release of prime does have an opening narration um, and it's a male voice actor with some <laughs> Echo the Dolphin vibes. Uh, you can YouTube it, but I, I took the liberty of transcribing what he says because it's just a short little, it's right at the opening when she's pulling up to the space station and in a very dramatic fashion, the voice actor goes, the cosmos in the vast universe, the history of humanity is but a flash of light from a lone star. The life of a single person, person should be lost in space and time. But among the stars, there is one light that burns brighter than all the others. The light of Samus Aran. Her battles extend beyond her life and etch themselves in the history. Here, another chapter of that history will be written. <laughs> <laughs> That's super melodramatic, right? But um, uh, I, I, I don't know. I think it adds a little something to the beginning. But overall, I think it's just it's just too cheesy for Metroid. I don't know. What do you guys think? It definitely fits the audio with the big choral, like, <laughs> yeah. gospel. Not gospel, but, like, cathedral-type yeah. music in the background. Because <laughs> if... If that's a dramatic intro, the music has times where it's really big and dramatic too. Like, yeah. and all you're doing is walking down a hallway. Like, <laughs> you know, you're yeah, like, I just got to walk all this long way. I don't need this big dramatic, like, theme music <laughs> in the background. Like, yeah. But it's, it definitely is. That intro is definitely as big as and dramatic as the music is in the background. <laughs> that's kind of corny for the um, series, though. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I just like the part where it says the life of a single person should be yeah, lost in space. I'm just like, whoa, man, come on. <laughs> Give me a little like credit, it. man. Someone's got to remember me at least for like 20 years, right? <laughs> um, another just little... exploring uh, the cosmos first, dude. Yeah, i got to become the interstellar Magellan if I want to be remembered. <laughs> you got to burn brighter than all the others. <laughs> um, a cool little design thing is that the icons for switching beams, you know, like on the C-Stick where you would switch from like the wave beam or the ice beam, actually represent the hand gestures Samus would make in order to switch between them. And you could see this in the game by looking at your gun with the X-ray visor. So like if you switch to the power cannon... It's like an outstretched hand and you would see Samus like outstretch her hand with the X-ray visor, which I think is really cool that the developers like actually modeled the hands, the hand animations when you would really only see it 
if you looked at your gun with the x-ray visor, which is like, what percentage of people are going to do that? Um, <laughs> but they did it and they put that in the game. And it's just like a really cool little attention to detail that, that the developers showed despite working a hundred hours a week. Right? <laughs> um, Maybe they could have got a little more sleep instead of doing that. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but then we wouldn't have anything to talk about in this uh, yeah, segment. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, that's crazy. I honestly didn't. I don't know if I remember that or not in the game. Yeah, That's crazy. It's like the icons are like weird, like bird hand symbols because they're like Chozo symbols, right? Um, right. And if you switch to them, like it's hand movements that she does, which is it's really cool. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, another little piece of trivia. Unlike most other Metroid games, if you beat the game with 100% completion, you don't get to see Samus out of her suit, but you do get to see her without her helmet. And... Uh, Honestly, she looks way more like a badass here than after Zero Suit Samus became her official look with the blue tight <laughs> skin tight and everything. Right here, she looks like an actual soldier, which is pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Another little thing, the game is very popular in the speedrunning community with the record being one hour, 10 minutes, and 18 seconds to complete the game or Damn. 49 minutes in game time. And apparently you That's... can get the space jump boots right away and then the morph ball. And then after that, it's like the whole game is unlocked, which is crazy. <laughs> That's crazy, dude. That's quick. Yeah, if, uh, I, I looked at a couple of videos. That game took me like weeks to play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, somebody did it in forty nine minutes. <laughs> yep. And if you look at the videos, it kind of feels like like the game is broken because he's just. At, there's a times where you can tell this person just memorized the game because he's not even looking and he starts shooting before he sees what he's shooting at and stuff like that. <sighs> so it's just like that. That takes a lot of mental. Uh, mental strength or something <laughs> That's yeah crazy. i watched a few playthroughs where it was that same way where i was like these guys must just know exactly where they're going because he was turning like and going exactly where he needed to like right at the right times yeah. and then i read that thing about it being in the speedrunning community i was like oh okay it definitely wasn't the hour and 10 minute one that i watched <laughs> i watched one that was like four or five i think something like that i watched it over a couple of days but damn that's crazy yeah i speedrunners are crazy and apparently metroid prime i it, that hasn't been been beat since I think two thousand, like I want to say ten or something like that. But, <laughs> yeah, that's super impressive. Um, and the last little trivia, because I really love the Wave Bird, and I wish I could have gotten this bundle, was that the <laughs> game was bundled with the Wave Bird exclusively at Kmart. So back when Kmart was a thing, uh, you could get Metroid Prime with the Wave Bird for I think like twenty bucks cheaper or something like that. Which so yeah, that's that's Metroid Prime. Now let's get into our questions. And the first question is, what is your favorite thing about this game? And uh, I'm going to start with you, Joe. What's your favorite thing about this game? Um, there was actually a couple. So the first thing um, was primarily just the novelty and the, like, the lack, for lack of a better word, like the awesomeness of being under Samus's visor. Like, mm. like we've been talking about it a few times, like just being under the hood or under the HUD. Uh, like Master Chief was a new persona and like there was a bunch of other IP that launched this generation, but this was one that held the like the built-in nostalgia and I think they utilized it really well um, to keep the feel of the franchise, but also give it that new layer. Um, and then a byproduct um, of that is just what influenced their design is that it was more and like the emphasis the, that they made on it being an adventure game. Like when I was going through the playthroughs, it when she starts scanning or when the player started scanning everything, I was like, oh, crap, that's right. Like that was a huge element of this game. And I completely <laughs> forgot about it until I started watching the footage again. And I was like, that's like that was this game. Basically, it was missed with uh, an arm cannon and jetpacks. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Um, you know, that's a big part of it because, um, so I, when I got this game, I like evangelized it so much, right? Like I called it the greatest <laughs> game of all time and all this other thing. And, uh, I would invite people to come over and play. And our, I don't know if you remember him, our good friend, Jimmy Joyner, he came <laughs> over and I like started a new game for him. And he was like, so put off by the scanning that he started calling it scan game. And that angered <laughs> me so much. <laughs> <laughs> he like wanted to play like Halo, like shoot everything right away. And I was like, no, this is a different game, man. It's like you're exploring. And he's like, I don't want to play your scan game. And that, would, that would anger me so much. But yeah, that was a big part of it. It was a different Yeah, I feel game. like I've read like a Tolkien book over this week while I was reviewing this game. <laughs> uh, what about you, Carlos? What was your favorite part about this game? 
Man, I do. I have to say, I think, like I said a little bit earlier, is like I was a broke college kid when I got this game. Mm. And so it felt like there was so much put into it. And there was, right? Like you're talking yeah. about all these hours that were put into stuff like that, that I really feel like I got my money's worth. Every room, it felt like almost had something in it, some yeah. sort of puzzle, something to learn, something to read. Um, being a big fan of Metroid, the franchise, the story went so deep yeah. uh, because you could scan and learn more about these, like you've been shooting these different types of characters before, right? In, <laughs> in third person, um, in the other games, but now you're learning like where they're from or what type, like what they live in They're Like, you know what I mean? It's just, mm -hmm. it was really cool. So I think that was the big thing for me was I just, I loved learning and I, I'm someone who like, like, give me a storyline. I love a good storyline, yeah. you know? And, and this one really like went deep into that. And then, um, I think you mentioned it earlier too, about like the gameplay being so smooth. Mm. I think that's what I like too. Like jumps were nice and smooth, almost like, uh, I guess like Halo is now, you, you know, like everything's almost this floating feel Yeah. and you could like, you didn't have to come up to a door, get stuck, then open it. You could shoot it from across the room and, <laughs> and then zoom right into it. Right. So everything yeah. was really like just fluid. So it made it pretty calming, like to kind of like play and just in really sit back and enjoy the game, enjoy the puzzles that were in the game like how the fuck do i get up there like you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah. i see it like right there but those puzzles weren't ever impossible you yeah. know so i think that that was a lot of it like it just it filled a lot of my time and i like enjoyed that you know it was enjoyable it wasn't frustrating or you know it's not like call of duty is like fuck i play match after match of call of duty getting my ass kicked because i'm not one of those super players <laughs> like, you know what I mean? like, and yeah. so it was it was just fun man it was a fun first player shooter yeah and very like just so much back backstory to it yeah for me it's it's got to be the same thing too this game was just so polished like everything about it was was really really well done um i remember this is one of the this is the first game and it's going to be super nerdy but as i've mentioned before i used to have aspirations of being a video game developer right so this is the first game that i played with like a notebook in hand and I would like yeah. note down things that I thought were really, really cool and how like how I would have designed it or whatever. I remember one of the things that I really enjoyed was how smooth it was to go from Powerball mode to like first person mode, like yeah. the animations there. And I remember just mm -hmm. doing that over and over for like an hour <laughs> and trying to like frame the animations and things like that and or like the level design. Everything about this game just felt like a triple A title. Like just it just felt like it, like there was nothing about this that was an afterthought you know what i mean like it felt yeah. like whatever this plant was off of this cliffside they put that there on purpose um whatever like the spider track is here for it's there on purpose right so that's the i think the first game of this generation where i felt like that and it just it 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 made me want to play the game like the way the developers intended more so than any other game, I think, because I could see that there was a lot of care put into it. Yeah. And, like uh, appreciation for it. Yeah. And I wish I still had that notebook because I would love to go back and see what, <laughs> what I thought was like a brilliant design thing or whatever. But I remember trying to map out the levels also like do like my own hand-drawn maps of it and stuff like that, just because I was trying to learn um, like level design or whatever. And uh, yeah, this game was just like appreciating it made me, see like the the i don't know the beauty or the artistry behind game development more so than any other game up until this point and uh yeah, yeah. That, i just love that and then i also really like samus herself like yeah i think samus is the most stoic character of any video game franchise ever <laughs> right it's just like <laughs> yeah people talk about master chief but yeah master chief has his ai buddy that's all like being sexy around him and innuendo -y and whatever. <laughs> and he's got a whole army behind him, right? Samus is literally by herself yeah, on a planet, yeah. <laughs> which is just <laughs> no one to speak to, which is, it, it, I always thought it's just like, why would they have voice acting in a Metroid game? There's no one around, right? Yeah. She's just going to be talking to herself or what? <laughs> um, and I think the representation of her in this game was excellent. Like, it's just... I don't know, like you, you never see her face until the very end, but you can kind of feel like her attitude throughout little cutscenes and things like that. And she's yeah. just like unshaken by anything, right? It's just like, all right, what's next? Um, so yeah, this, I just really love, I love this game. Yeah. <laughs> Second question, what is the standout moment of this game? And I'm gonna go to you, Carlos. What do you think is a standout moment uh, for you? 
Gosh, I was trying to refresh myself, like like I was saying earlier, like Joseph asked me if I wanted to come on about this game, and I'm like, <laughs> man, yeah, it's been a long time, and I was like, I haven't played that game in forever, so I went back and watched some, just some video clips and stuff like that, and I, I have to say some of the boss levels, yeah, because, you know, everything being in that first-person shooter type view was was new but then when you'd go into these like massive bosses where you were kind of circling around them and like it just gave you this feel of like for samus right like Mm -hmm. how big these how big scale like you know these bosses were where when you're in third person i mean yeah you're looking at a side scroller you can see it yeah you know it's not the same effect it gives you that real first person like this thing is like six stories tall like what the (laughs) fuck you know what i mean and so i remember the first I think actually the intro scene has something like that, right? Yeah, because she goes and like defeats. Yeah, it's like a you big, go in and, and a bug bug parasite yeah, like queen first, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and so I think that was one of the big things where I was like, "Oh shit!" Like it just looked and felt very cool, very um, like present. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And again, like I'm playing with headphones, so I, like I was enveloped in sound, yeah, and somewhat video, but like you know, on a 14 inch. But it, I think that was one of the big things when I first like that's like two minutes into the game, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, then I remember that being something that was really, really big and, and just awesome to, to prepare you for like, you're not even ready. Like you're not ready for what this game's got for you. <laughs> yeah. So I think that was one of the cool things and just the environment in itself. Like yeah. it just was awesome to, to stand in and, and look around and explore. It was just really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Joseph? Um, yeah. I mean that part of that too, like the, the, the part that stuck with me the most from this game, and I don't know if it's just because I played it the most, like picking it up so often. I think I only ever really beat it once, but I started it a few times. Um, is that first sequence or part of that first sequence when you're escaping from the spaceship? Like you just beat that first boss who, like like Carlos was saying, like you just get this new perspective on what this franchise looks like from this view. Um, and then it sets off all these chain reactions where you're running and then like... I just remember that elevator ride where it's like grappling hook offline, morph ball offline, and like yeah. just goes through everything that you have that's all like messed up and telling you all your the sustained damage. And then like you run outside and you see Meta Ridley flying. And then like that whole sequence right there is just like the perfect Metroid sequence to me. Yeah. Um, and they like, the, I don't think they ever got me hooked that much in any of the other games as much as that, that one right there. And that's in like the first 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. What's crazy, what I always thought was crazy about that was that, like, Samus sees uh, Metal Ridley and loses all of her power-ups and everything, and he flies into this planet, and she chases him down into the planet, yeah. where I would have been like, well, I'm going home, see you guys, I gotta go get this fixed. <laughs> Sucks to be there. Yeah. like, well, they're in trouble, I gotta go fix my suit. <laughs> but it's just, yeah, like I said, it's just, Samus is just... She says, "All right, I gotta, I gotta take care of this." She's just totally stoic. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that 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 whole intro level was really cool, and it was kind of like a. It reminded me a lot of the Super Metroid intro level because you're also yeah. on a space on a space station. You kill a big monster that breaks the space station, and then you have to evacuate to the planet right below it. So that was a cool yeah. homage too. Um, but for me, it had to be the snow level. I don't know if you guys remember it. The first time you get to it. You yeah. ride this elevator up into it, and it's it's called like Fendrana Drifts or something like that, and it has its own theme song, and it's like a a watery level with ice and snow, and snow is falling, and you can see the snowflakes falling, yeah. and the music is really serene and calm. And when this moment happened, I remember like I literally gasped. I was like, <sighs> and I stood there, <laughs> I stood there just like looking at like the snowflakes fall, and I was like, is this happening? Like th- that was my first next gen moment you know what i mean where i was just like <laughs> graphics have reached the new echelon <laughs> like yeah <laughs> like we're one step away from from virtual reality or whatever that i still remember that moment and uh, i rewatched it uh on like youtube clips and i wanted i wanted people to have the same experience i did but everyone's just like powers right through it and i was like no so i actually plugged in my gamecube and i uh i like loaded it and I had to go back to that level just to kind of stand there. And it's just like, it looks a lot muddier than what I remember in my mind. <laughs> just because, you know, it's 480. Um, but yeah, it's still it's still really, really good looking. And that moment for me was just like, 
it like encapsulated everything like the music the level design the yeah. the polish into having like snowflakes fall in like a believable way and the flying little things and it was just like like a total package and i was just like blown away at that moment more so than in any other moment in the game and that was also barely like an hour and a half into it or something like that <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, wasn't there like different themes for for a lot of the different areas yeah yeah, yeah i yeah. thought i remember it like yeah and that was really cool for them to do too because it's like god this thing came with its own fucking soundtrack you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah definitely and then like i said like that magma one was uh it had the same musical tone or like notes as the super metroid magma level and stuff like that so there was a lot of little things like that which was really really cool the third question what is the worst part of this game um what do you think joe um i think the one aspect that it has that like nothing nothing else really had to which was platforming in first person Mm -hmm. it just gets rough sometimes like having (laughs) to do those double jumps and stuff like there's double jumps in platformers that i still can't even get past like nowadays that this one was like even tougher because you're from a, you're coming at it from a different perspective and then um going back i didn't realize like watching the playthroughs the other thing that i didn't really realize at the time i think was how much the enemies respawn and each time you go into a room you have to kill them again and again and again it feels like it seems like old school zelda like each time you go into this room you need to clear it yeah <laughs> How many space pirates are there that they just keep? Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, definitely. Uh, what about what about you, Carlos? What do you think was the worst part of this game? Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I can't really think of. Like I was saying earlier, like this game was actually really calming for me to play. Yeah. But I'm sure that there were some, like puzzle areas that, like Joseph was saying, like they were hard to like to get. You know, the the jumping into different areas and then. And then you just miss one jump and you're like, fuck, <laughs> like, damn, I got to start over again. Yeah. And so I guess, yeah, probably some of those things. But I mean, I don't know, as as like just a regular consumer, like I just enjoyed it. So I can't really think of it's been so long since I played it. <laughs> so I, I know there were frustrating moments in it, but yeah. I can't really think of, of any outside of normal gameplay. Like it can't be super easy, though. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think that's a good sign um, overall, because like I really had to dig deep to find what I didn't like about this game. And I like yeah. got, I got to the backtracking, like the backtracking was annoying. Um, yeah. But I mean, that's part of the model of Metroid, right? It's just like, Oh, well it's not that bad because you have new, new items and new abilities. And now like I can reach here, which I couldn't before. Oh, I remember that. But a lot of the times I wouldn't remember. And I was just like yeah. at the same level that I was at before, just like walking around like an idiot being like, okay, what am I missing? What am I missing? What am I missing? <laughs> and that got annoying quick. But yeah, I mean, I really had to dig deep to find out something that was bad about this game because it was a really, really good game. Yeah. And uh, so that was a short one. The fourth question, how did the game <laughs> age and what parts of it aged the best and the worst aside from the graphics? Uh, I'll, I'll take this one first because I think the controls aged very badly. Um, like I said, I booted it back up and uh, like I tried to play and I kept on wanting to use the C-Stick as like a, an axis control. And it's not that, like it's, it's, it's how you pick your, your beams, right? And I don't know, it's... I know that it's not a first-person shooter, but it's just so intuitive to have that second joystick be something that allows you to look around, right? Yeah. And it just didn't. And it's just so weird. It took me forever to get I the whole time I probably played for like maybe three or four hours, but I kept on messing that up. Um so I don't think that aged really well. I also don't think the design of the enemies especially didn't age very well because I know that like retro was trying to go for mature and serious sci-fi and stuff like that but there's a lot of times especially in like the first levels where the space pirates kind of blend into the level and i couldn't really see them i was like whoa what's shooting at me what's <laughs> you know what i mean until i would look <laughs> yeah. at the radar and stuff like that um and it's kind of like they're all because of that they're kind of forgettable so i remember what the space pirates look like in super metroid but i don't remember what the different space pirates look like in metroid prime which, for example, in Halo, which has very distinctive enemy design, you remember what an elite looks like, what a grunt looks like, right? Even like 
you could tell from really far away what each one was. And in this one, a lot of times I couldn't tell what was shooting at me. And then when I could see them, I like couldn't really tell any defining features of them. So I think those are yeah, the you two almost things. couldn't really tell what they look like till you scanned them. Yeah. And then you scanned them and then you're like, oh, okay, that's what that looks like. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I think that aged really badly because other than that, it's just like it's a great game, but it's just the enemies are so forgettable. And um, other than like, you know, the big ones like Ridley, Meta Ridley or whatever, and, and the Metroids, but it's just like everything else is kind of like, it's just Samus shooting at guys, right? Shooting yeah. at darkness waiting yeah. for yeah, stuff for, to come at her. Darkness yeah, with eyes that's a and good jetpack. Point. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think that, that aged pretty badly. Um, what do you think, Joe? Um, yeah, I don't know. I think... And maybe this is just because I watched a lot of it back to back over this week. And and I think that's what it is because you guys are praising it really well. And the <laughs> audio is really good, but there's a lot of tones. And I guess it's because of all the backtracking and like that you're in these areas for so long that like, yes, every area has its own theme and that theme is good. But when you're hearing it over and over again, if you're not speed running, like <laughs> it does get very repetitive. And a, a lot of those tones coming back over and over again, like I almost wanted to put down, take down the volume and not listen to it because, <laughs> oh man, it, it got so repetitive so quickly. Um, that well, was so the part big that and dramatic age. too. Like it's yeah. big dramatic and you're like, okay. I get it. Yeah, get then, it. Like, yeah exactly. Like what you're, what you you're saying. Need it, you're like, yeah, you're you don't need down it for, for 45 minutes. Like you don't need that big dramatic <laughs> moment for 45 minutes. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, it was a great soundtrack, but it, uh, it's just, um, I don't think it aged well in context with the game itself, even mm-hmm. though the audio, even though the sound is great. Um, the other thing that, well, what I think actually did make it age well was um, just the, that they made it more of an adventure game like taking on that aspect to it really makes you remember this one differently and like uh like i was saying when i first started playing that uh playthrough that first scan is like what brought it all back to me and like when gardo first started playing it too he's like oh yeah or seeing it too he's like yeah i remember like it gives you a whole different feel and a whole different nostalgia for this game as opposed to like running around with your friends shooting them in halo like this one was more like a book as opposed to like a movie that you went to go see with friends or something like that mm. yeah yeah yeah, that's a good point. What about you, Carlos? What do you think aged the best or the worst from, from Metroid Prime? You know, I'm probably bad to answer this question, and only because <laughs> I don't play games as much now as I did when, like, you know, back then. Yeah. But I will say, you know, I hadn't really thought about that fact with the um, enemies, like you said, and I definitely agree with that, because when I was watching, you know, YouTube clips of some of the playthrough, it was the same way, too. I was like, what the fuck is he shooting at? Like, what's, what's shooting at him? I could see that in the in the playthroughs, too, and and then I remembered, oh, yeah, like I remember as a player playing it and not knowing what the hell was shooting me, mm. scanning it first. And I'm like, oh, OK, it looks like that, like because it gives you this red <laughs> outline, you know, like yeah. you could kind of like you actually see like a detailed picture of it in good light. And then it reminded me, I'm like, oh, maybe that's why now a lot of games like when you not a lot of games, but certain games, when you go into them now, it tells you how to set like, OK, you know, the brightness or whatever for the game. Yeah. It would have been nice for them to have something like that maybe back then or just take into a more versatile care of like it being on different screens. So you could, cause they did such a good job designing like the characters and the world and different areas that yeah. I'm sure there's a lot more in those corners and things like that, that we're not even able to see yeah. when these guys spent a hundred fucking hours a week like, <laughs> designing it only for it to be in like pitch darkness. And you know, can you imagine the guy who designed that? He's probably like, I spent so long on that damn wall. You can't even see it. Like, you know, you're yeah. going back. So I guess that is pretty kind of crappy to, you know, for good that it didn't age well controls. I can't really say anything cause I haven't really picked it back up to play to be honest. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I have a game gamecube here in my house now now mm-hmm. i'm tempted to definitely like try to plug it back in and play but that's probably that's probably it i mean i i don't have a lot of comparison just because i haven't played it since since my early 20s you know so yeah and again this is just really it had to be like nitpicks because it's such a good game but like it, it would have benefited if it had better enemy design because the environments are so well designed that if yeah. just yeah. If, if i could just see the enemies or have some distinctive enemies that would have Maybe instead of a 97 overall score, it would have had a 98 or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the fifth question, uh, what is the legacy of this game? What do you think, Joe? 
Um, I think, I don't know if this was, this must have been like really the first generation where Nintendo kind of stamped their foot down that they can do what their con, they can do with their consoles what no one else can, like visually. Mm. Um, their first party titles and their IP is more solid than any other company. Like, they will be able to, they're not Sega where, sorry, Rod, <laughs> on them, but they didn't get to, like, Echo didn't keep them alive. As yeah. <laughs> Zelda and, and Metroid are going to keep uh, Nintendo alive for the foreseeable future, at least as far as I can tell. Yeah. Um, and this was, like, the first, or, yeah, the first time we really saw that. And I don't think, like, without this, like, adult game type feel, we get games like, Win- like um, not Wind Waker, like Breath of the Wild or, like, mm. kind of some of these other nintendo games that we've gotten throughout the years not yeah. not that it's become the norm because they still have some of the cartoony <laughs> stuff but yeah. um you just have to have some of that stuff with nintendo yeah i think i agree with you because i i do consider the metroid prime kind of established the gamecube as a serious machine for western audiences more so than any mm-hmm. other game um because yeah it, it like you said nintendo was or i guess even japanese games right up on Till this era were seen as more like uh western audiences really prefer pc titles or you know where you can play doom or quake or whatever and yeah. the consoles are really more japanese or you're that you're not going to get like big american audiences that way and i think the i think metro prime kind of established that for the gamecube and yeah. also interesting that you touched on that because i do think this is I think this and Morrowind, I don't know if you guys remember that one. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's in the Elder Scrolls. These were games that were released as like first person, first person perspective games that weren't just shooting and that were really good and did really interesting things. So I think Metroid Prime, a big part of its legacy is that first person perspective works for more than just shooting. Um, Right. Especially like in an exploration type setting, uh, which I, yeah, I mean, like Firewatch or Gone Home or other games like that, I think can trace their lineage back to to Metroid Prime's type exploration, just establishing that and establishing that audiences would like that. Right. Um, So I think I think that's a big part of the legacy of this game, as well as, you know, that Metroid is reborn because like it skipped the N64. Um, And so Metroid Prime kind of brought Metroid back and. We haven't had one on. We didn't have one on the Wii U, uh, but we should get one on the Switch hopefully. Because uh, yeah, Metroid Prime showed that Metroid is alive and well, and that people still love it, and that it can be serious. So, all of these are legacies of this game. Um, what do you think, Carlos? Yeah, I think um, because it does give it that non-cartoony feel. It was always fun to like. You know, you could jump back and forth and play some of the Mario stuff like, I don't know, Mario Soccer or some of those other ones yeah. for just, you know, regular play or group play with like friends or whatever, or just to enjoy. But this one was one, like, I like playing games on my own where I'm trying to figure things out or, and and it's just this series. So since they had the ones before, it made it comfortable to know, yeah, this is a character I know, this is a storyline I like. And so it just almost like like joe said almost like a like a book it's almost like a good book where you're like cool this is comfortable this is something i really enjoy and know and i think that sets it apart for sure yeah yeah i i another one that i just thought of or forgot to mention was that i mean retro studios still exists right even though they were mismanaged and their employees lived through hell and stuff like that like (laughs) metro prime was good enough that it's just like oh we should keep these guys around and nintendo actually bought out the founders shares so after metroid prime they became like an official first party studio for nintendo um and now they're working they they didn't do they did metro prime 3 but then after that they did donkey kong they did the donkey kong ds games and the wii games i don't know if you guys played those but i've heard they're really really good yeah i played some i played yeah, the one with so. the the bongos or is that gamecube no that's gamecube yeah that is gamecube yeah that's they right. did uh like frozen paradise or something like that I, oh, I don't think i did play that one actually yeah i haven't played it i've heard it's really good and uh yeah they're, now they're working on metroid prime 4 which should hopefully come out for switch yep supposedly we'll see if it happens (laughs) um sixth question is this the peak uh for any of the studios or generation or consoles um what do you think joe definitely the peak for um retro like (laughs) you're not gonna beat this game i mean you just they just knocked it out of the park with this one and they're 
there isn't any release, but they've worked on the other ones too. Like they're, I don't think they're going to come up with something much better than this at any point, or at least more innovative for the time, for sure. Mm. Um, Metroid, I'm not so sure. Cause having grown up with it as a side scroller, like that's what I think of it. That's what I think when I think Metroid still personally. Yeah. Um, but innovation wise, this is definitely the peak for the franchise in terms of just everything we've talked about sound, um, the video, like again, innovation, um, I don't know that it's the peak for Nintendo though, because we've seen stuff like Breath of the Wild and like yeah. um, Nintendogs, <laughs> or uh, Brain Age on the DS. Which... <laughs> yeah, <there you> go. <laughs> uh, yeah, for me, and this might be a little bit hot takey, but I think this is the peak GameCube for non-gamers. Like, if if Metroid Prime wasn't enough to reel people in then I don't think any other game of this era would. Um, I, I, I think that's... I, like, I don't see any other game of the GameCube lineup appealing to a wider audience than Metroid Prime because of how it was presented, because of its marketing, because of its polish, because of its whole Halo killer thing that was going on for it. And like, let's look at the top-selling games for the GameCube and consider if anyone that's like not already a Nintendo fan going to play any of these games or be, <laughs> or be like, find these games appealing. So number one is smash brothers. I don't think anyone that's not a Nintendo person is going to get a GameCube for smash brothers. Right? No, it's Mario, all Nintendo characters. Yeah. It's all Nintendo characters. <laughs> Mario Kart. Maybe, maybe, but I don't think so. Right. Because Mario Kart is a fun party game, but I don't see anyone that's not already like a Nintendo fan going out there and getting a GameCube for Mario Kart. Yeah. Uh, Super Mario Sunshine, definitely not. <laughs> Legend of Zelda Wind Waker, I mean, definitely not. Especially Wind Waker. Wind Waker is yeah. the one that has the least like mass market appeal out of Wind all Waker of the specifically. Games. Yeah. yeah, I know of like people who are a hardcore gamer. Like some of the people who I know are the biggest gamers in my life just hate Wind Waker. They won't even play it because it just looks like a cartoon. Yeah. Dude, See, you know I love I love the Zelda franchise too, and that one I never played, I don't oh. think. <laughs> it's so I good. Know. <laughs> I know, I never played it. And I just think I you know, I only had a limited number of games that I yeah. had for my GameCube and I just when it came down to it prime is what i bought yeah especially yeah. the emphasis on music you should definitely pick it up when uh, i think it's on switch isn't it i'm not sure i have it on gamecube still i should i yeah. don't plug it in <laughs> um, <laughs> then after wind waker like it's luigi's mansion again that has no, the same appeal as yeah, wind waker right? nobody wants to play a scaredy cat in a video game like for a wide appeal <laughs> after luigi's mansion came animal crossing definitely not going to have the appeal to the mainstream and then after that is metroid prime so it's just like see of the top selling titles the only one that has like broad mainstream appeal that can bring people into the fold was was is prime um and like going down all the way to like the top 20 selling best-selling video games resident evil 4 came out for the gamecube on 2005 and it was a gamecube exclusive for a little bit so that could have pulled some people in but that was three years later right yeah. um resident evil zero came out in 2002 also like a little bit of appeal but like that's why i think this is the peak for gamecube appealing to non non-nintendo people like if if metroid prime doesn't bring you in if you think it's a scan game you're gonna you're not gonna like the GameCube. <laughs> that's it um yeah so i think that's that's like this is the peak gamecube appeal for non-nintendo people like otherwise it's non-existent after this yeah. so then our seventh and last question how would this game work or look like in 2020 what do you think joe uh i think it looks just like this probably a little bit bigger because we all know nintendo is not going to have a console viable of supporting vr until like 2050 <laughs> um, <laughs> which we're not going to make it to either so yeah we're not going to get any vr uh samus i don't think um which would be the next step and at least in the immersion um that we saw jumping into the first person of metroid prime mm. but like have you guys seen the iron man vr game no like there's a yeah there's a iron man vr game check it out when you get a chance but you it puts you under the hood of uh, um, Iron Man, like from the yeah. movies. So if like imagine having that in a, in a VR hood, um, 
headset for and walking around with Samus, like that would be really cool. Um, yeah. That's the only. I mean, and we keep on coming back to VR, so I don't want to keep on using that as a crutch. <laughs> but that just seems like the like the coolest thing going forward as to what you could see. But other than that, I'd see it being like just some sort of um, exploration game. Still first person, still kind of like this. Probably better controls. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Carlos? Yeah, I'd say the same thing. Like we said earlier, you know, the the display and the HUD was the big thing, and it was so ahead of everything else that was out there when it came out that it would. I think it would still fit perfectly with. Like if that's what it looked like now and it came out and it came out tomorrow, I would definitely go like I'd be out there and I'd go buy it right away because <laughs> I, I enjoy playing a game that gives me all that information. Yeah. Not that I am against having to click into a map or click into like my inventory or, you know, I'm not against that. It doesn't bother me that much, but it's just a lot smoother for gameplay, especially when you're playing an adventure game like that, where you're trying to figure things out or figure a puzzle or put things together, you know, by information that you're getting it's a lot smoother play like that. And I think if, if it were to look, you know, not exactly, but look more or less kind of the same way, the HUD, yeah. you know, I think that would be perfect. I mean, I think that's what it would, what it should look like, like if they were going to do it, you know? Yeah. No, I, th yeah, I would love a HUD with more detail or more like, like a zoom lens or something like that. I think that would be yeah. really cool, but I, I would love an open world Metroid. Just like imagine the map, oh, the yeah. size of like, uh, breath of the wild but as samus or even bigger yeah. like full exploration yeah. finally being able to have the speed booster boots which exist in the side scrolling ones but <laughs> yeah. because of the rendering ability of the of the gamecube you just really couldn't do it so like i think and another thing that i think the metroid franchise always had to me is that sense of being all alone on a planet on a strange planet where you're the only one there that is like you have no backup no one's coming you can't call anyone right and i think yeah. that whole aspect of it would be so interesting to explore in a modern game where it's not only like an adventure game but it also kind of has this thriller aspect to it you know what yeah. i mean where it's like really i think that they'd have to lean on that for sure a lot yeah that would be so great to have like this slower paced pensive kind of exploratory thriller game where you can really dwell on what it means to be all alone on a planet and you're the only thing holding it from the brink of destruction. Yeah. As it's like this open world thing that envelops before you, right? Um, I think I that think would that'd be, be amazing. Good for like people right now because I think we're in a in an era where there's like no patience, there's no like people don't take a step to like slow down and like yeah. and and really like look at the world around them in real life like you know yeah, yeah. that like in a video game i i'm almost curious at how that would hit in a video game because i wonder if people would be like oh it's not fast paced enough yeah. like no just take a step back and like take a deep breath and enjoy like what's around you you know what i mean you can explore wherever and you can look at this or you can i mean go to these little corners of the game and i would be i think that'd be really cool for sure yeah the whole slowness of it would be cool and i like i, I don't know like because i hate scary movies i don't watch them or whatever but every yeah. time that i would play metroid i'm like samus has to be afraid i don't think yeah, I, yeah. I don't think yeah. anyone lands on a planet like <laughs> that's <laughs> never been in before and is not afraid right well yeah. that's what that's what i was thinking is like that that's where they really have to explore more of like how yeah, more of Samus and round her out more finally. Instead of being the stoic, we'd have to find out more about like her inner workings. Yeah. And I, how she feels about stuff. Like, does she talk to herself? <laughs> She's getting nervous <laughs> about stuff happening, stuff like that. Yeah, and I think it has to be a correction of what they did on Other M. Did you guys ever play that one on the Wii? I don't think I did. No. Yeah, so Metroid Other M was developed by Team Ninja, um, which are the guys that do Dead or Alive. Um, so clearly they made Samus like cutesier and... Um, girlier and for starters like samus in super metroid and in metroid prime like her height officially is like six three okay so it's uh, just like yeah. she's she's like a big super soldier type person right and like on other end she's like five two and she's like cutesy and she like calls people for help all the time and stuff like that and it's just like no that's not samus like uh, i yeah. think it has to be an exploration of, of that because despite her fear despite her her being all alone she still carries on with the mission right and she's still like the galaxy's 
best bounty hunter or whatever, which is, I, I, I wish that there was, maybe Metroid Prime 4 will do this, but just like more exploration on that, on the psyche of Samus, on what it means to be alone, on what it means to, to keep going despite fear and uncertainty. And they have just, to make that scale huge, like yeah. almost you know, no man's sky. Yeah, 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 yeah. Level. Yeah. You know what would be cool is if they had, like, if they kept some of the dramatic feel of music, except less repetitive, right? Like we are talking about earlier, like during the day. But then as, like, it would get night on this planet, the music would fade out, too. And all you would have were these, like, these sounds of what the night would be. Because, I mean, let's face it, like, things are always scarier in the dark. So if you were, like, playing that in this night field, now there's no music to kind of keep you, you know, your mind just busy or whatever from yeah. from background music but and just give you a total feel of the aloneness the seclusion like if you could feel the echoes and stuff like that of this big open world that'd be yeah. super crazy like i think that would definitely be just give it more feel for sure definitely's got me pining for a game we're never gonna see <laughs> no i hadn't considered that because yeah that would be so cool to see that shift from day to yeah. nighttime and how like the world around her starts glowing or whatever. And like even Samus yeah. herself, you know, like the LEDs would glow off of her and that would attract enemies to her in a different way and things like that. Oh, yeah, Man, that that'd be cool be if like you could turn on lights inside the visor, then see her reflection, right? Like in the one now, and then like at night you could turn it off so she could stay more stealthy. Yeah. That'd be super cool too. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I'm You'd telling, have to like, like power down your ship and stuff to make sure to not attract like the bigger enemies on the planet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that whole aspect, whereas like the first yeah. Metroids were all about like um, exploring, collecting, whatever. It's like, yeah, that still happens. But now with the technology and the storytelling that's available to us, uh, like we could have a whole game that explores that aspect of it. And that would be like the next progression into Metroid where it becomes more of like a psychological thriller as well as an exploration game. Um, And even those like farther away from the shooting and more of just like, yeah, like there's spouts of shooting, but it's more of like Samus having to deal with, with, with that, with being alone, with going forward and all these things. And there could be in there space for internal dialogue, right? Because who knows what these sounds trigger in her memory wise or anything like that. So yeah. (laughs) Hopefully Nintendo's listening to this. Um, <laughs> Miyamoto is a subscriber. I know that much. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they're already working on the new Echo, so we got stuff going on. Yeah. Um, so, any closing thoughts on Metroid Prime, guys? Um, I'll go, I guess, first. I, I do like this. Like I said earlier, like this was one game that I really, really loved. Um, it was a big part of of time filler for me when I was going through not something difficult, but like, yeah, like a breakup and stuff like that so i was in my own space by myself mm. almost like samus like, yeah. <laughs> so it was just awesome it was a it's a big comfort game i'm i've always loved the franchise and i've and joseph will tell you like from back in the day even i've always just been a big big metroid fan of the game period but it also holds a good place in my heart despite all its you know tons of recognition and everything yeah personally for me it's like it's it's like a, a just a comfort you know what i mean it's like a a comfort from from a time where I really needed something and that game was there for me. Like mm. you know what I mean? It was it's just it's awesome. It was a good game and a good memory. Yeah. Yeah, and uh shout out to my dad for incurring the yoke of debt so I could uh, so I could play Metroid on the GameCube with the wave bird with the phone safe distance. So yeah. Uh, thanks Joe. Thanks Cuddles for joining me. And uh thank you guys for listening. Uh that's it for this episode. So we'll see you guys next time. Relevant Podcast Network. Thanks for listening.